The Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2. Hello and welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, in partnership with Her Game 2 and Shop Clubhouse. I'm Kay Holland, good to be back with you, and I hope 2024 is treating you all well so far. Joining us today, we have just the man to give his expert opinions on all things women's football. It's football journalist and the editor-owner of WSL Full-Time, Dan Pentland. Hi, Dan. Hi. Good to have you. And also joining us to give her thoughts and updates on the latest Fantasy WSL transfers, it's Fantasy WSL's Izzy Duddy. Welcome to you, Izzy, too. Hi. Great. Thanks, guys. So um, this weekend, it was all about the magic of the FA Cup. 15 games took place in the FA Cup on Sunday, with one on Saturday. The winners of the fourth round matches each received £54,000, with the losing clubs getting £13,000. So that is a significant increase from last season, when the winners received £15,000 and the losers £3,750 for the same stage. And that sort of comes after the FA announced earlier on in the season, it will be doubling the prize pot for the Women's FA Cup this year. So yes, there's progress still to be made, but it's a pretty good step, isn't it, guys? Yeah, I think it is. Um, Obviously, clubs are wanting to be self-sufficient in the future, so every little bit helps. Um, Probably helps the smaller clubs more than the bigger clubs, is the general feeling at this point, but... um, yeah, let's just keep it rising. And obviously, the profile of the competition needs to increase with it as well. Absolutely. Shall, shall we have a recap of all the FA Cup action? Uh, so the game on Saturday, it saw Everton beat fellow Women's Super League side Aston Villa 3-0. So Katia Snoyce's second half double saw Everton record a well-deserved win. It was a goalless first half, and then Caroline Olsen broke the deadlock just before the hour mark, with the ferocious strike into the Villa net. Snoyce then doubled the Toffees' lead in the 80th minute before netting from the spot seven minutes later to ensure a seventh consecutive away win at Aston Villa in all competitions. I thought this was quite a surprising result, Dan, given there's only two points separating the teams in the league. What did you think? It isn't, it isn't. It's it's a funny fixture, this one, because Everton going into this game, had won their last six games at Villa, which is crazy thinking about it, given the investment that Villa have had in recent years. Um, so I suppose in terms of the form book, Everton won the game, but you know, I think Everton have struggled financially a little bit with their budget, their playing budget this year. Um, so yeah, to, to go and turn Villa over again after doing it before Christmas was quite a big result. And yeah, to, to many, it will come across as quite a shock. On to Sunday's games. FA Cup holders Chelsea needed extra time to beat West Ham 3-1 after trailing on what was a testing fourth round tie. So Mia Fischel equalised with 20 minutes left following Vivian Asai's shock opener before Erin Cuthbert and C.O.K. Nuskin scored in extra time. So it's been, I think, 1,204 days since Chelsea last lost a women's FA Cup match with Emma Hayes' side winning the trophy in each of the past four seasons. But, I mean, West Ham, they're second bottom of the WSL. They've won just once all season in the league. 
And they really frustrated Chelsea, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did. Um, well done, by the way, on the maths on Chelsea's unbeaten run. <laughs> it's some going <laughs> that, but yeah, I think they're, they're a young team, West Ham. Obviously, they've signed some players in the January transfer window. Um, Brianskin is wanting to make them a little bit more attack-minded, and we probably saw that again at the weekend. Um, it, it's probably a sign of their progress, the fact that they took the lead in that game and you know took Chelsea to extra time. Um in terms of the bigger picture, they probably need a couple more experienced bodies in this month, and I think that's probably going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done at West Ham. I think, obviously, it was a bit of a derby, and you know they played well against Chelsea earlier in the season. They replicated that again yesterday. Um, but I think, yeah, the bigger picture is they're still building, they're in transition, and you know, come the end of January, I think we'll have a better idea as to what we're going to expect for the final months of the season. Yeah, after the match, um, Emma Hayes, she actually came out and said that Chelsea, they looked rusty for the first hour or so. And um, I'd, I'd say they certainly felt Sam Kerr's absence, didn't they? They did. Um, I, I mean, many will say that Chelsea maybe haven't been the best throughout this season, but they've done what they've needed to do to, to get results. And that's probably been the most impressive aspect of, of their team. You know, it looked like they might have been heading out yesterday, but they just found something extra to take it into extra time. And then, you know, they made the difference. So, yeah, I think they probably were a little bit rusty. They are going to have to find a, a short-term solution to Kerr's absence. But, yeah, I think all season, they've, they've obviously done well without really setting the, the ground alight. So, yeah, it'd be fascinating to see whether they can kind of get back to their best free-flowing football or you know, whether they're just going to continue to grind these wins out one by one. Winning ugly. Um, over to you, Izzy. The Sam Kerr news, that's probably messed up a lot of fantasy teams for people, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think she is our second most transferred out now, or at least she's had the biggest um, sort of steep fall in um, ownership over this last transfer window. So, yeah, I imagine that's going to be mucking up a lot of players' fantasy teams, Although uh, it's not surprising to know that a lot of the um, players and strikers that people are choosing are actually Lionesses. So she wasn't one of the biggest uh, played players in people's teams as it is. So it may not have the big impact that we we might think. Um, and there's certainly a load of other players who are racking up the points on other teams. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out without her. Tottenham, meanwhile, seemed set for a shock defeat as they trailed Sheffield United 2-0 after 51 minutes. Sophie Hayward and Jess Sigsworth scoring. They were still behind with 10 minutes to go, despite Bethany England pulling one back. But an England penalty got them level before Morocco international IN rescued Spurs in the final minute of added time. Dan, that was looking scary for Spurs, wasn't it, at one point? Yeah, because I think Robert Villaham wants to do really, really well in the cup. And yeah, to go out fourth round wouldn't have been great at all. So yeah, they were pushed the limit by a Sheffield United side who, you know, on their day can really push any team in the championship and, you know, maybe beyond. Um, so yeah, they gave a good account of themselves. Obviously, we know that there's been a number of difficult obstacles behind the scenes at Sheffield United this season, but you know, I, I think they'll obviously, they'll just, as a team, they'll, on the pitch, they'll want to focus on their football now and, you know, do the best that they can. And I think they did that at Spurs yesterday. But, you know, sometimes it's those moments in football that win 
cup competitions or, you know, that can be turning point. And, you know, maybe we saw that with Spurs yesterday. Yeah, to have made it through. WSL Giants, Manchester City, Manchester United and Arsenal also progressed through to the next round. Man City won 4-0 at Durham's sold-out Maiden Castle ground on a Sunday when no women's Super League sides were eliminated by lower league opposition. Uh, Dan, our producer Luke tells me you were at this game. Was it as comfortable for Man City as the scoreline suggests? It was so comfortable, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Durham have got a great tradition with playing these top teams at home. Um you know, I think they've played Everton, Liverpool, Villa, Chelsea, Man United twice. Nobody's had an easy game against them. So you'd fa- you fancied them yesterday on their artificial pitch to to give Man City a game. But to be honest, Gareth Taylor named the strongest team that he could have named. They seemed to take really well to the pitch. They got an early goal. They followed it up with another one in the first half. And, you know, they, they were absolutely cruising. Um you know, Durham didn't really know what was what had hit them. They weren't allowed to put their own identity on the game. Um, you know, I, I just thought, you know, Gareth Taylor comes in for some unnecessary sticks sometimes. And I thought he got it bang on yesterday. You know, really, really professional performance. And, you know, they might be the ones to watch in the FA Cup this year. Obviously, they've won it in the past. And, you know, as we said, you know, with Chelsea, maybe not always the most consistent in terms of their performances. You know, City, when they're on it, they really are on it. So... Yeah, it was thoroughly deserved. They deserved to win 4-0 and, and nothing less. And, um, you know, yeah, keep keep an eye on them this year. So you're, you're tipping City then? You heard it here first. I think City have got a good chance. <laughs> um, but it, it depends on the draw. At this stage, you know, you probably want a home draw in the next round if you're United, City, Arsenal or Chelsea. And you obviously want to avoid probably mostly an away draw against one of your title rivals. Um, so all of those sides are going to have to have a bit of luck in the draw. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't want an Arsenal Chelsea or a you know a Chelsea City at this stage of the competition. But yeah, I think if they get a favourable draw, if you know the they they avoid some of those bigger sides in the early stages, then there's no reason why we can't be talking about City at Wembley. Okay, thanks, Dan. Moving on, Manchester United crushed Newcastle United five nil. And Arsenal had too much for Watford, winning 5-1. Although as a Watford fan, I'm just happy the Hornets scored. Um, There was some concern, though, for the Gunners, as England international Beth Mead required treatment for an injury to her right ankle at the full-time whistle. Izzy, that's a big concern for Arsenal. Have you seen any movement on the fantasy front in terms of Beth Mead being transferred out? No, actually, if anything, it's the opposite. She's been one of our most heavily transferred in in this transfer window. I think uh, we'll see how that goes in the next week when more sort of information comes out about that injury. But I think, um, you know, her recent form uh, for Arsenal has just showed she's kind of back to her winning ways. So provided her ankle's okay, I think we can see her transferred in a lot more over the coming weeks. Noted. Okay, thank you. Elsewhere, WSL side Liverpool won 1-0 at Bristol City, despite being reduced to 10 players. Gemma Bonner scored with five minutes remaining after Kerry Holland was given a second yellow card on the hour mark. The biggest and only upset on Sunday saw third-tier Wolves come from behind to earn a memorable 2-1 away victory at second-tier strugglers Reading. And that, that was thanks to a late winner from Destiny Two Saints. Dan, does this highlight the issues Reading are having at the moment? Or do you think we're just not giving enough credit to Wolves? 
Yeah, there's two sides to this. I think Wolves have been knocking on the door of the elite game for a while now. And I think it's just further evidence of the quality side that they've put together and, you know, the good work that's going on behind the scenes there. They obviously thoroughly deserve to be in the fifth round and credit to them. But, you know, yeah, Reading, you've got to look at it. And, you know, you saw the men's game abandoned on Saturday. The the club isn't in a good place. Um, The women's team are transitioning from full-time to part-time, which is difficult for everybody. You know, when so many clubs are going forward, it feels like Reading are having to go backwards for various reasons. Um, yeah. You've maybe got to question the players a little bit as well. And I don't really want to do that, but you start the season with, you know, maybe 13 players who were in the Super League team last year. You've won two games so far this season and gone out of the FA Cup in the fifth round. You know, for me, they should be doing a little bit better. Um, I'm not saying that they should be challenging for promotion because... They probably shouldn't. Um, but, you know, it's been a difficult season, but the players, you know, if you ask them, I'm sure they'd probably say that they, they could do with a few more points on the board. Um, but that being said, it's probably, that's probably only maybe 10% of the problem. We know there's a, a massive problem within the club at the minute. There's discontent left, right and centre, more on the men's side maybe than the women's. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it's, 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 well. yeah, it's difficult because you know as well, that being said about the players, there's probably, you know, 10 to 13 players who are on full-time contracts who aren't going to get another full-time contract at the end of when it runs out. So the futures aren't at Reading. So that's then going to have a knock-on effect, you, you think know, men mentally and, you know, probably possibly physically as well. So, you know, the maybe the, the, the performances I've had this year, you know, maybe you can't criticise them too much because, the, you know, they don't have that long-term security as well. So... Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess at yeah. the minute. And, you know, poor Liam Gilbert's gone in there trying to sort it out. He's a good bloke and, you know, hopefully he can sort things out and get them fully transitioned to part-time, yeah. you know, in, in the near future. But, yeah, it's a, it's a bumpy old road for the club as a whole. And, you know, certainly... Yeah, for yeah if, if, if they can stay up this year, I think that's the big thing and obviously see what the club can do over the summer. Thanks for that insight, Dan. Um, so the lowest ranked team left in the competition, fifth tier Luton Town, they were beaten 6-0 by top tier Brighton, while Hampshire Club Moneyfields of tier four lost 4-0 four away at second tier London City Lionesses. The 2012 Cup winners and current championship leaders Birmingham City needed extra time to squeeze past third tier Burnley. And the other results from the FA Cup weekend action are as follows. Crystal Palace 3, Blackburn Rovers 1, Ipswich Town 1, Charlton Athletic 4, Plymouth Argyle 1, Nottingham Forest 6, Sunderland 0, Southampton 2 and Derby County 0, Leicester City 4. Dan, Izzy, any of those games or results that caught your eye? Any talking points there? I'd probably go back to the Birmingham one. I, I, I pondered over this one a little bit. You know, if Birmingham top of the championship, if they went out of the cup, would would it really matter the fact that the you know the number one target is promotion? Um, yeah. But then when I, look just, at it, when, when I look the at it from the other way, them? possibly. But when, when I look at the other way, I kind of think, well, they went into Christmas with consecutive win. It was about six or seven consecutive wins, so it almost does something for momentum to win that cup tie and bring it over from the break into this year. So there's two sides of it. You can look at it, but yeah, they've started 2024 with a win. They ended last year with a fantastic winning run. So, 
you know, maybe that's the biggest positive right now. The fact that, you know, they, they keep on winning games and, you know, they're now going to we're in a championship games with another win. And hey, they're doing better than the men's side. They are, but I mean, we talked about Reading there. I think, you know, in terms of how quick something can change, I think we've seen that at Birmingham as well, because I think there's a lot more harmony, you know, in, in that club. You know, obviously they've had a takeover. Hope Powell's gone in, you know, to oversee things at a, a higher level within the women's side as well. So, you know, I think, yeah, you, you look at Reading, who were maybe on a bit of a dip at the minute, and Birmingham the other way, they've had that period and they're coming out the other side and, you know, they're absolutely flying. And I know I said to Luke before Christmas, I think they'll win the title. I still think we'll, they'll win the title. And, you know, it's a tough old league, that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot for Birmingham fans to be happy about, you know, going into the rest of the season. Yeah, lots of positives. Uh, now, before we look at the big game in the National League South, so there's someone who is performing on and off the pitch, and that's Bo Jackson. She serves as Exeter City co-captain, while off the pitch, she works as a firefighter. And I caught up with Bo earlier in the week to get the lowdown on her journey to date. Yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. Um, so my brother and I always used to kind of just play, just a bit of fun as you do, brother-sister rivalry. Um, and then kind of being at the school that I was at, my PE teacher was very fond of football, so we'd, we'd just play football when we could. Um, but I remember trying to rally around as many people as I could to try and get enough girls to play football to be able to enter this once a year tournament to go and play <laughs> um, and then eventually you know she put us through for some trials and um, yeah got picked up then and it kind of carried on from there I was really fortunate had some amazing coaches and um, some amazing knowledge put in it because I was later than most people that started football so I only really started playing properly at under 16 um, and oh. so then good coaches some quality teachings and then kind of progressed all the way through to kind of where I got to really. And then with the firefighting, it was just pure luck. I was working in football at the time. I saw a job come up and I said, that sounds quite interesting. That was nothing to do with firefighting, but it oh. was in the fire service. And um, yeah, it was about, I don't know, about a month worth of being in the job in my fitness advisor role in the fire service. And I was like, God, it looks fun. <laughs> I think I want to do it. <laughs> and then, yeah, at the time I was, I'd say I was, I was playing the, within the Super League and I just couldn't, do both with being exhausted yeah. that I just couldn't couldn't do it whereas now as I'm getting older and I'm coming down the leagues it was the right time to get into the firefighting side and it's it's given me that new lease of kind of you know up in all your fitness again trying to stay motivated yeah. and competitive and it's it's matured me but it's also given me a really new aspect and viewpoint on kind of the game which I think has been really a, a strong point within my career and I look back at it definitely it's definitely changed me as a player but in positive terms. Do you think there's any parallels between your two roles? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I hope I don't find any fires on the football pitch. <laughs> and I hope I don't find a football with a fire. But <laughs> no, yeah, there's been brilliant. So, you know, the team aspect is, is so parallel. You, you look into my squad and, OK, they look very different. And I've got one team which is very young that I'm saying, come on, don't worry about it. And then the other team where I'm the youngster and they're saying to me, don't worry about it. Um, but that, that teamwork that you take in with anywhere is is brilliant and I think those skill sets you build with any sort of sport and any sort of team you, you know you can really use that from both aspects and I think those the mental toughness and strength and determination you know that's used for both roles there's points where you, you physically cannot stop no matter how tired you are and that's come definitely forward in my football career as well where as much as someone may yeah. run past you you can't stop and it's really you know built those uh, foundations of my mental 
ability as well. But what I want to know, Bo, is how on earth do you manage to combine your footballing and your firefighting commitments? How, how do you juggle it? Um, I don't. I'm actually really... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. And it's, it's not happened overnight. You know, it's, it's taken time. It's taken commitments. It's taken some fantastic management from fire service and my football and just understanding of, you know, my, my role and who I am and what I do. So I think you look back at... You know, when I first started going into all the training and I said, oh, by the way, I've got to go out for a few weeks. And they're like, yeah, not a problem. How long? And, you know, it's like, oh, but this is going to be quite frequently just while I was getting trained up to be operational. Um, but it's building that so trust within that. Yeah. And then. And, and that flexibility that they've been very um, allowing yeah. of the flexibility. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I look at it now and going, you know, I say when I even last night I went to training and <laughs> I had had a fire in the day. I was quite tired and I went there and I just said. I'm here, I will do everything you need me to do, but I can't do that extra bit because I'm just a little bit tired. And they're so accommodating with it, it's great. So yeah, I, I, they definitely understand it. And the juggling role is just about trial and error. Sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I try and help out on the fire side and I go, yeah, I'll cover you tonight, don't worry. I know I've got training the next day, but I'll be absolutely fine tonight. And then I'm out all night and then I really regret my decisions. <laughs> right. So it's just understanding and cooperation from from both sides then in that respect yeah exactly yeah. and and you know i cannot i cannot give enough praise to both sides of management and how and my colleagues and and teammates of how understanding they can be even if i'm a bit low you know they're they're there asking are you all right do you need anything you know i i cannot fault them at all they've been absolutely brilliant on both sides and for exeter you're the co-captain so how did that come about and how does it work <laughs> yeah um how did it come about? I don't, I don't really know. I think I just uh, paid them a lot of money and then said, <laughs> no, it was brilliant. So I, I obviously joined in from Exeter City and um, just came in and said, what do you need me to do as a player? You know, I, I've got experience, but you tell me what you yeah. want from this club and I will do it. Um, the year kind of went on and then season finished. We just missed out on promotion, but everyone was still in that buzz of going we've got this you know this is a development thing we've got the foundations there we're building this squad to be sustainable no matter how high we can climb in those leagues and um yeah I had a, a chat with the management team and the staff and they yeah. just said look we want you to come on board to to help with that you know what I bring is very different to the to Mount Pichard who is the, my other co-captain yeah. and the captain that was there beforehand and it's it was just a building process of saying actually like I bring something different. She's extra city through and through and something you don't want to lose within that, you know, leadership squad. So they decided actually it's a really good companion to go, let's put it as a co-captaincy where you both support each other. You both help. We've got our vice captain as well, but it was just then a development for both of us without taking away the heart of extra city. Yeah. So the yin and the yang and it both complement each other. As yeah, captains. exactly. We're a team, you know, it, it's, no one needs an armband to be a leader and I think we symbolise that you don't need something around your arm to say that's the person we look up to if anyone on our team gives something they need to say it needs to be heard and you know regardless if that is the player that's coming out for their debut or me that's one of the oldest ones there you know it doesn't matter we respect each other and I guess that is shown from our from our captaincy all the way through. What's been the sort of highlight of your uh, footballing career to date? That is a tougher question. <laughs> um, any any moments that stick out? So my first start for the Super League, 
was a huge one for me because um, I remember my manager at the time, who was Jamie Sherwood, he um, pulled me aside and was like, Bo, you're starting today. And I kind of double taked him and was like, okay, here we go. Look at this. Um, youngster at the time still, as you say. And I remember he said, yeah, I don't want you to stress, but you're going to play there um, and you're going to be up against Heather O'Reilly. And I was like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and there's a little girl from Devon, you know, looking up to one of those people you watch all the way through, Olympic champion, you know, World Cup titles under a name. And then I'm just going there like, okay, I've got a mark as this game. <laughs> and it was brilliant. And I remember like, things just worked for me. Don't don't we didn't win the game and that was fine. But as an individual, things just worked. Like, you know, things wasn't, she didn't get past me very much. I did all my right things. And I remember afterwards, um, you know, my manager coming up to me and just proud and just yeah and that pure pride of going well done and you know and that that's got my starting my starting squad number that got my shirt and that that moment was my opportunity and I took it and managed to stay in the squad for however long after that so it was brilliant yeah beginning of the journey uh, <laughs> back to Exeter Exeter obviously flying high this season um surely it's promotion to the championship's got to be the goal yeah, and you know what? What was lovely and what made me kind of gravitate towards Exeter was exactly that. You know, the clubs I've been at before has all been about we're in the southwest of England. There's nothing, there's no massive amounts of money or huge clubs down here. But what's important for me is those morals and ethics of the club. And for me, Exeter City is exactly that. Let's build foundations, let's build a fan base, let's build what's important on and off the field. And with that, in time and development and patience, we'll get to where we need to be and be completely sustainable there, rather than what we've all seen in women's football, where a lot of money gets put into a club and then within the next five years, they're gone. And we, as Exeter City, we don't want to do that. And that's what really drew me to the club. They've already had talks with me as an individual and with other players, coaches, businesses about saying, actually, we're serious. This is something that we want to progress. And that's no disrespect to any other team out there. Yeah. I know a lot of teams are doing it and it's fantastic to see and talk about it. Um, but as a... As a club, they are serious and it's fantastic to be part of that journey. And it was a good week for Bo on the field as her side won 8-1 against Southampton women. That means that they have a 100% record in the league this season, having won all 11 games. In second place is Bournemouth. They also have a 100% record, but have played a game less. And Dan, there was an eye-catching signing for Bournemouth earlier this week, wasn't there? Yeah, Kelly Thompson um, played for London City a while back. I think she's played at a decent level in in Spain as well. Um, yeah, to to for a club, I think bomb to the fourth tier. I think they've they've done well to get a player like that. I think obviously they've got a little bit of investment and backing behind them. So, you know, it might not be the last big name to go in there, but yeah, she, she'll help the, raise the quality and the profile of that club without a doubt. And. Yeah, what what a signing it! Uh, you know, I was surprised when they pulled that one off because she was playing full time football to go, you know, into into Bournemouth. But by the by the looks of things, you know, maybe they're another club who are edging to come out of that national league system and go into full time football as well. So, be interesting to see how that club and and you know how, how they really progress in the coming years. Yeah, it was certainly a great signing. Uh, now, in our last episode, we heard from hashtag United's Grace Gillard and Haley West ahead of their top-of-the-table clash at Portsmouth. However, the result ended up going the way of Pompey. Um, over to you for this one, Dan. Yeah, I mean, they had to win that game. They absolutely had to win it. Um, hashtag we're top. So, you know, I, I know Portsmouth have played less games, but, you know, if you lose that one, all of a sudden you're staring at a, 
a six point deficit with two games in hand and you know it makes things a little bit more tricky so yeah Portsmouth had to win that they're a club that have been going really well for a number of years now um and yeah I mean it's it's probably a two maybe three way title tussle at the top of that league but Portsmouth are in poor position now and it's very much theirs to lose yeah, Rugby Borough, though, they did cut the gap um, to hashtag to six points. They had a game in hand um, and it was goals from Morris, Nixon and Greenslade that saw them beat Cardiff 3-0. Zoe Barrett's rocket was the pick of the goals as Oxford City won 3-2 at Chatham Town and Billericay beat London Bees 4-2. The only game in the north saw Liverpool Feds move up to fourth with a 2-0 victory at West Brom. Anything else stand out from the weekend, Dan, Izzy? I think you've covered that one, Kay. <laughs> Nothing else to add to me. Yeah. Over to you. Anything from you, Izzy? I'd say I think London City Lionesses, just to come back to that, I think they're on a really good trajectory. And I think uh, the win at the weekend showed that. Obviously, it was a sort of um, lower down team, but I think their new ownership, they seem to be in quite a good stride. So I think we could be seeing some really good things from them for the rest of the season. Thanks, Izzy. Okay, it's time for some transfer news. So Arsenal have signed American defender Emily Fox from North Carolina Courage. The 25-year-old right back has won 39 caps, including four at last summer's World Cup. Fox was also part of the US squads that won the CONCACAF W Championship two years ago and the She Believes Cup in 2022 and 2023. And Izzy, that's a really strong signing for Arsenal, isn't it? They've been looking for defensive cover now for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, with Leah Williamson out, obviously, uh, that's been a big gap uh, in their defence. And we saw Fox play at the weekend. She's clearly very attacking. um, So that's going to bolster sort of Arsenal's team, both uh, in the attack and the defence, while they kind of wait for Leah to get back and hopefully just firm up that defence even more. And Arsenal aren't the only ones to have gotten in on some transfer action. Everton have signed Denmark internationals Rike Madsen and Catherine Cool. Uh, so forward Madsen, she's 26. She joins from North Carolina Courage until June 2025. And Arsenal midfielder Cool, who's 20, she arrives on loan until the end of this season. Good signings for Everton, Dan. Yeah, they need a couple. Um, they've lost a couple of players. They've had injury issues there as well. So, yeah, Um Two decent players come in, um, two players that Brian Sorensen will be able to work with quite well, I think. Freshens things up. Um, they won't be done neither. I'd expect them to bring in some defensive cover because I think they're short in that area. But um yeah, I think I think you know it felt a little bit, I wouldn't say stale, but it felt a little bit difficult in terms of personnel at Everton at the last end at the end of last year. And yeah, it, it does definitely put a bit of a fresher feeling, more positive outlook on things. Thanks, Dan. There was an interesting international transfer too. Um, German international Lena Magel, she left Bayern Munich for Inter Milan. That is a statement signing, I think. Some signing for Inter, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Italian league's coming on in strides, really. Um, Obviously, the German league, you know, England probably caught up with that a little bit. And, you know, you've got other other divisions in the world coming out now, particularly in Europe, and Italy is certainly one of those. So, you know, you always think of Roma or Fiorentina or Juventus from the past, you know, in terms of the leading clubs in Italy. But yeah, it's it's good to see that competition and, you know, other clubs being able to attract big players and, 
you know, I, I think that leads in for quite an exciting future. Great. Thank you, Dan. Um, and Izzy, let's look at the Fantasy League now. Since the launch, it's gone it's really, really well, hasn't it? Yeah, we're uh, we're really sort of almost overwhelmed by the reception we've had. Um, we're now coming up to 30,000 players, um, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think since last time we were on this podcast, we've launched um, our app. So that sort of debuted at, at sixth in all sports apps in the UK. So it just shows what a demand there is for this. And looking to the future, what are the aims and plans then for the future with the Fantasy League? So we want to keep it growing. Um, we're not sort of slowing down anytime soon. Um, we recognise that, you know, women's football traditionally has sort of had uh maybe a, a gap in the fan experience that that exists still in the men's game. I mean, you look at Fantasy Premier League, that's got about 11 million players. So there's absolutely no reason why we can't have the same success and build that same platform for fans of the women's game. Um, we want to start bringing some more complex stats to the app so we can finally bring in things like bonus points um, and kind of hopefully create a bit more competition between, between the players. Um, and we'd also like to bring more sort of content towards the app and try and get some more news and things for people to engage with. So we're hoping to keep it growing um, and, yeah, get more people involved. Well, we'll be cheering you on and we wish you every success with the launch. Um, that's it for this week. Thanks to our guests, Izzy and Dan, and to you for listening. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via all good podcasting platforms and if you're on social media, why not give us a follow? We're on Twitter at TWFP1 and over on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. The Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Her Game 2.